0: This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan.
1: And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, we're all in this together. The art of collaborating in the arts.
0: And this week, we are delighted to invite leader of Enigmatic Studios, Liam Bowles. Hello, Liam.
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Now, for those uh, faithful listeners among you, um, some of you might remember that we had Liam on many, many moons ago a long, long time ago, um, but he's back um, and he is going to be telling us a little bit about the latest enigmatic project, Moko and the Seven Gates. So before we get started with that, Liam, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: No, I don't want to.
0: Oh, well, this is awkward.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah sure thing. Um, so, hello. Hello. Um, I, uh, we, we started Enigmatic Studios about uh, seven years ago now. My God, I'm <laughs> old. Um, straight, almost straight away after I, I left university, actually, um, uh, as having tried to get into the games industry, it's it's one of those industries that is notoriously hard to break into, uh, mm-hmm. like banks or acting. Um, <laughs> So the the easiest way to do that for me as a career path was to start my own studio Um, uh, with with, with the idea in mind that, you know what, if I'm struggling, other people are struggling too, so Mm. let's let's do something about that. So the idea behind Enigmatic was to uh, create a team of students and self-taught people and graduates who all have had the same struggling experience that I've had uh mm-hmm. and and hope that uh by providing live projects to to people uh like that that they'll be able to then uh make it in the industry with with the experience they needed on their portfolios
0: that's very very cool so the kind of so that's how it started um and uh, obviously, it's, it's quite a large team now of part of Enigmatic. I mean, also for those who are listening, you will know that I am part of Enigmatic. And we'll go into in a minute how um how Liam recruited me, because that's an amusing story unto itself. Uh, but we have quite a large team now. It's, it's international, isn't it?
2: it? It is international. I think at last count... This may have changed since then because I have my fingers in many different pies in the studio, so keeping track of everything's a little difficult. But I think we were about 17 strong, and that's a collaboration of uh, writers, designers, artists, programmers, uh, at least one person in, in marketing, animation, uh, graphic design as well. And they range from uh, uh, the, the countries of the United Kingdom, Uh, all the way down to Columbia, the United States, uh, and at least one in Canada as well.
0: So here's the question. How did you build this team? And I'm going to start off by telling you all, all our listeners, how Liam recruited me, because um, this is a story to remember. I was singing, I was busking in the streets when this incredibly tall gentleman...
2: (laughs) With very long hair at the time.
0: <laughs> very, very long hair at the time, in a waistcoat, in a waistcoat, um, looking very dapper, came up um, and said, Oh, I, I'm starting up this gaming game studio, we're working on a game, um, would you be interested in doing some singing for it? Without going into details about the game. Um, And I was immediately very interested. I said, yeah, absolutely. So we had a little bit of talk. We we talked a little bit. And then he said, oh, would you be interested in doing any sort of voice acting? And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then Liam did something which would change my life forever, which is that he looked very deep into my eyes and he said, and how do you feel about being covered in tiny balls? And (laughs) what? <laughs> motion capture I'm talking about motion capture oh right
1: of course <laughs> if not 10 out of 10 for unusual pickup lines because
2: <laughs> hey if you can't walk up to a random woman in the streets these days and say would you like to be covered in tiny balls it's not a world worth living in
1: absolutely I mean it was seriously it was her choice wasn't it so
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um Yeah, so that's kind of how we got started. So I initially came in on the project as part of, as, you know, supposedly doing some voice acting and stuff. And having had sort of a few meetings and sort of meeting some of the rest of the team, I was like, you do realise I'm a writer, right? Um, And one thing led to another. It was just sort of, oh, okay, well, show us a little bit of your writing and we'll see what happens. Um, And somehow I ended up being head writer above being voice acting, Um, and here we are seven years later. So it's been a pretty amazing journey from that one bizarre encounter in the streets. But what about the rest of the team, Liam? How have you built up this team from across the world?
2: So it very much started with just approaching universities, uh, putting basically our pitch out there of this is who we are, this is what we're looking to do. Uh, would anyone like to come on board? And we had a fantastic response from uh, from, from local educational institutes, uh, institutions, I mm-hmm. should say. Um, and we, we, we started to, to build the team from there. Now, uh, there, there aren't actually that many people left of that original team. Um, people, mm-hmm. people managed to uh, find industry jobs. Um, and, and went off on, on, on their own ways, or they realised that game development wasn't something for them, which is uh, perfectly fine as well. Uh, but the team we, we have currently uh, has been built up still of, of people who, who have come to us uh, and we found after they left education, um, particularly mm-hmm. the universities in the south of England, uh, but we also uh, advertised online. We, we, we put adverts out on Reddit requesting... Um, certain positions that we, we needed to be filled, and we managed to find some um, fantastic talent from from all across the world. Um, uh, there's also some great, great uh, collaborative uh, game game creation Discord channels, um, and and people we found people that way as as well. But ultimately, it, it was just by putting ourselves out there, by by talking about. Our goal uh, of, of trying to support people in the industry seemed to really resonate with people, and it, it was from there that people flocked to us, really. And we've managed to assemble this team that have just done phenomenal work.
0: Okay, so today we're going to be talking about collaboration um, with, you know, obviously with Moco in mind, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about Moco itself in a little bit. But we're going to start off by first of all um, explaining what we mean by collaboration. So it's important initially to recognise that almost all artistic projects will involve more than one person. Unless you literally conceive, create, edit and publish in a box there is going to have been some kind of outside involvement in your artwork, almost inevitably. Um, and this involvement might even have been unconscious. Okay, so it might not have been someone necessarily coming in and saying something. But the point is that you don't create in a box.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's a really difficult thing to do as a one-man band. So if Madeline and I are obviously talking from a writer's perspective... You know, a finished book is very different from your original concept idea. And it's very different from your first draft and your second draft and your third draft. Yeah. Um, and the one that you're happy to send to your beta readers. So, yeah, it, it it's not a one man band type thing at all.
0: Yeah. So this kind of um, involvement, it could be happening at the initial you know, ideas stage. You could be talking through ideas with someone. You could be getting inspiration. Um, you could be taking suggestions or using prompts as well. Um, or it can happen um, in the sort of the creation or the editing process, which you know involves taking further suggestions, etc. Obviously, the big thing to remember is, particularly in terms of writing, editors and agents and beta readers will help you shape your work a lot from large creative edits to line edits whether you're self-publishing or you are traditionally publishing they are going to be very very involved because obviously they make their money off of you as well however What we're talking about today is collaboration with intention. So we wanted to mention all that to say, that's not what we're focusing on today. We're talking about collaboration with intention where two or more people, artists, come together to create something on a very equal level. So rather than it being sort of external looking in, it's everybody is coming in and doing it all together from the start. So with that in mind, here's the big initial question. Why do people collaborate?
1: Oh, well, sometimes it's it's perfectly simple. In the, in, the, in the case of you literally cannot do everything yourself, you may not have the skill set.
2: That's certainly a big part of, of games development. Um, yeah. There are so many disparate uh, uh, topics to, to, to cover, uh, so many little schools of thought that need to... Uh, all come together to to make the the product as a whole. That it would be impossible for a single person to uh, to realise that on on such a large uh, commercial product. I mean, there's there's plenty of people who who do manage sole little projects all on their lonesomes. Uh, and there's been some great games on, on with, with with that. But but certainly, to to if you're looking to scale up a project, uh, you can never do that yeah. alone.
0: I mean just looking at skyrim for example can you imagine (laughs) one person um it just it would have never been possible you know it's the same with movies or things like that movies video games plays collaboration is inevitable because no one person can do everything um but here's the really important question then is that the only reason that people collaborate is it only about practicality
2: Certainly not I think a lot of art benefits from from the collaborative experience. Um, c- certainly from my perspective it, as a director um, you can get too much into your own head and mm-hmm. go down a path mm-hmm. which you think is great but the audience that you are wanting to to sell your product to to, to experience the art that you're trying to produce uh, they may not so. Having, having dissenting opinions within a project is, is actually beneficial uh, to, to make the best piece of art, the best product um, mm. at the end of the day. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, collaboration creates opportunity to do something completely new as well, I think. Um, you know, you, to depart from usual styles, to explore new ideas and to challenge yourself um, I mean, there's some really, really good examples of this in writing, which has allowed people to create distinct characters and ideas. Um, good Omens, for example, which is obviously Terry Pratchett um, and Neil Gaiman. Um, now, there's a there's a book and a half, there's a series and a half as well.
1: There's an interesting story about how that came about as well, because uh, Neil Gaiman, you know, obviously... British expat now lives in America, mm-hmm. and Terry Pratchett w- became relatively good friends. And they were talking at some sort of writing event, I think. Mm-hmm. And Neil Gaiman said, "Oh yeah, I think the, the, the usual thing comes up. What are you working on at the moment?" And Neil Gaiman said, "Well, I've got this idea for this this sort of this story about this angel and this devil and this boy who should be the antichrist but kind of isn't." And um, Terry Pratchett's like, "Oh yeah, that sounds good. You should write that." And then. Several months later, um, Neil Gaiman hadn't actually sort of done any progress on this at all. Mm -hmm. And Terry Pratchett phoned him up and said, so um, that idea you were talking about, have you decided to run with it? And if you haven't, maybe I could buy it off you um, or perhaps we could collaborate on the book. And that's how that sort of happened. As in, once he'd said it to (laughs) Pratchett, Pratchett then couldn't get the idea out of his head.
0: (laughs) That's such a good idea. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is a really good idea and the way they did it was um, they would each write a bit and then send it to the, the other one and mm-hmm. then that one would sort of go through it and edit it a bit and then they would send the next bit on and it turned into a competition to see who could make the other laugh Yeah. so you basically had not only two great writers but two great satirists sort of bouncing off each other which is why you ended up with the book as it was at the end yeah it could have been an unmitigated disaster if they you'd had two massive egos in the room well you know the metaphorical room
0: yeah um, absolutely
1: but there was they they allowed the give and take so you ended up with a fantastic book instead
0: i think the big thing obviously was the fact that they were both fans of each other as well It does help i think it, I think <laughs> if, it really helps yeah
1: if you're going to collaborate, it helps if you're working with someone who's writing you not only like but you respect and you enjoy reading, um, whether you're actually writing a book with them or whether you're setting series in the same world, for example.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another good example is Illumine, the Illumine series by Jay Kristoff and Amy uh, Kaufman. Have you read that, Jules?
1: Um, it's on my TBR. I haven't got to it yet, I'm afraid. I keep meaning to. Mm. And I've got all the books, I just haven't got to them. Uh, I have read Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner's These Broken Stars trilogy, which they collaborated on all the way through together. And that is very, very good as well. So I mean, I think Amy Kaufman just does a lot of collaborations full stop.
0: Yeah. I mean I I really enjoyed Illuminate. This is it's one of those weird things where I enjoyed Illuminate despite the fact that I didn't really like the char- the main character. Um, and I enjoyed it because of the style. Um, and that very much felt like there were so many distinct voices that you could really see how the collaboration had worked in creating that. So that was that was very cool.
1: Yeah, certainly if you're doing a multi POV type mm-hmm. writing project having two distinct writers or with distinct voices um, working on it I think can really help and can come off very well
0: yeah absolutely
1: but then I'm biased I would say that <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I think even when it is a practical application as within sort of a you know a gaming studio and stuff like that um, collaboration can, can still also be about bringing sort of minds together. People can share new ideas and visions and offer up new perspectives. You know, happy mistakes or suggestions can snowball into something larger. I mean, Liam what's been your experience with this you know having so many people with so many bright ideas how has that kind of affected the creation of moco for instance
2: um so moco actually started as a two-dimensional game um yeah. being played similar as, as you might say to a to one of the mario titles where uh, side-scrolling platformer um but as we were looking at the project um collaboratively the, the team sort of took a step back and went actually this isn't working we need yeah. to go into three dimensions yeah. uh, and, and so we started turning our attention to, to games similar to so almost Spyro uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: for inspiration mm-hmm. um, uh, and uh, it was at that point that the team collectively felt that this project was, was suddenly gelling um, yeah. it was something that they, yeah. they were happy to make and then as as the game grew certain ideas from mechanics came about that that we tried to implement um and then other, other as 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 they went um certain parts of the team go are we sure about this <laughs> uh, do we do we really actually want this is this going to function in the game at the end of the day um and so c- collaboration within within enigmatic studios uh, is as much about bringing ideas to the table as it is about saying no that's <laughs> not going to work uh so, so i think we've struck a nice a nice balance between um making sure that we we, we bring something forward that is um uh a, a good mix of, of, of fresh ideas as well as uh some some uh, well-worn old ones uh, mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. making sure that we don't do anything stupid
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in particular, just from sort of an inside perspective, one thing that was interesting about Moko was, of course, when when the idea was initially pitched, because um, <laughs> I, I was the one who pitched the idea for Mokko, Um and I bit, I did, I pitched it as a side scroller. Um, and it was meant to be this kind of this very small game. And I pitched it thinking, okay, we just want we want a small game. Um I'll focus on the story. And then the programmers and the animators and the artists got a hold of it and they just made it so much bigger, so much more beautiful. Um, you know, so much stuff coming into it. Um, And ideas which we'd initially had were kind of, the coders said, actually, this doesn't work, but we can do this instead. Um, And that ended up shaping some of the narrative. And it was a really wonderful and kind of a wild experience as well to kind of see something which started out as, you know, a document, an A4 single page document, (laughs) grow into something that was so humongous as other people kind of took ownership of it as well. And I think that that was actually really very emotional for me at the very least. I don't know whether you got as emotional as me, Liam. I think you kept a cooler head, but I was, I was the whole time I was like, oh my God.
2: <laughs> I, I, I think I had to take a bit more of a pragmatic, and, th- and this is the horrible thing about being, being a game director is is that you want to be as passionate as you can be about a piece of art unfortunately though you also have Mm. to have this business head screwed on that means you need to look at something and go part part of you screaming i love this it's my baby and the other part of you is screaming (laughs) yes but will anybody buy it uh and 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 th- th- there's this frustrating middle ground that that I, I have to to occupy that means that by by design I can't get too passionate mm. about something unfortunately anymore uh because if I do there's there's real danger uh in in, in how that will affect yeah. the business the wider business um so i I, I I very much tend to let the passion sit with with those who are actively creating, so the artists and the coders and and the writers, uh, and I I sit there at the helm uh, trying my best to to steer it um, into a cohesive uh, line of thought.
1: And this is um, just a a sidebar here for those of our listeners. I think a lot of our listeners are actually writers as well and some of them are probably indie writers. And I think this Liam's just made a really, really good point, um, which applies to indie writers as well, which is you might be really in love with your idea, you might have the idea, an idea for a a 10 book series or something. Um, But if you can't sell that, then unless you are looking at that 10 book series as an investment of time whereby you're just honing your craft, and you're not worried about making any money back for it, and that's money in terms of time as well as money in terms of what you shell out for covers etc then it might not be time to write that series you might have to choose something that's more marketable that clearly has an audience already set up for it Um, because once you become known then you can more or less write what you want and people if you have loyal readers will probably follow you but you kind of have to do your dues in the trenches before that (laughs)
2: It's an, that's an excellent point. I mean, we, we started Enigmatic Studios with one project and we've a, we actually went through about three iterations of different projects before settling on the one we did. And, and we're still excited about those original ideas we had, but they were not mm. at the right time for us. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we, we had to think about actually what, what is within our limitations at present what would we need to get um, somebody on board to finance these bigger projects? Uh, because that's what they need. They need that level of dedication. Um, and that's how we wound up with Mokko, um which is a, a game we all very much love dearly. Um, it, was, it was there to help steer, start steering the boat towards those larger, larger projects. Uh, but yes, it never hurts to have something you're passionate about in the back pocket for later down the line.
0: Yeah, I think the big thing about some of the, the large projects that we had was that we were all very excited about them. We actually did some really good work for them. But ultimately, as you say, there was this decision, which is we're not going to be able to do these justice as we are at the moment, not without you know having certain equipment, not without being able to pay people full time and things like that. Um, so rather than do the game a disservice, rather than say, okay, well, we'll just half ass it. We basically said, we will put that to the side for now. We'll put that in the back pocket um, with the possibility that there might come another time for it and we'll work on something which we can do within our our current limitations. And part of that was sort of learning what those limitations were and part of that was um, you know, figuring things out with the team that was available, because that was the other. That's the other thing about collaboration. Um, you do have to consider each and every individual. It's not just about saying, right, you do this. It's about also playing to different people's strengths.
2: Very, very much so. Um, uh, and, and certainly, when you do have a collaborative project, there are so many different strengths that are going to have to be come come into play and. And whoever is helming that collaboration, because you will need someone to, to guide it, mm-hmm. um, be that, like myself, a director or, or an editor or a publisher sat in the wings going, mm-hmm. you know, I like this idea, but are you sure you want your character to go in that direction? Uh, yeah. be, because that person will also mitigate the, the strengths and weaknesses to make sure you get a nice balance going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely so let's talk about some of the pros and cons let's start with the pros of collaboration and the first one is we've obviously already touched on is new ideas perspectives and possibility collaboration is so exciting because you know for a lot of people when you kind of get writer's block and stuff like that it's actually because there's this kind of this stagnation of thought you're not inspired by what you're writing, you're not kind of invested in the same way, something is holding you back. Um, And whenever you're collaborating, something for me that I've found is the fact that you can just be stuck in a complete rut and then someone says or suggests something or sends you something and it just, this is a new thought that you couldn't come up with yourself Um, and yet it triggers new thoughts, new perspectives within you. And that's really exciting for me.
1: Yeah, I think there's also, um, and not to, not to harp on about the diversity element, but you know, mm. having more people involved in the process means, as you said, more perspective. And quite often they're perspectives that you might not have yourself because mm-hmm. that's not your experience. Um, and melding all those things together, you will generally get a much stronger product at the end of it. Where it goes wrong is where someone is deliberately or a particular perspective is deliberately excluded from the process. Mm. And um, I'm not going to go into details, but there's been a few things that have come out recently where it's very clear that a certain perspective has been deliberately excluded and the, the, the end result has been a lot poorer for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if that perspective actually really would have been required within the within the process itself within the project <laughs>
1: well yes I mean if we're talking historical fiction for example then um <laughs> you might not like a let's say a white cis male <laughs> um straight perspective but you kind of need it unfortunately if you want it to actually land as it's supposed to
0: mm. Yeah, obviously depending on what you're writing, but yes, well, it's
1: yeah. it's not the only perspective. No. Is what I'm getting at, but yeah. you can't, you literally cannot chip everything out if you want it. If you're talk, talking about a big project, a big TV series, or something like that, yeah, then um, excluding anyone is a really bad idea.
0: Yeah, um, another great thing about it is more people involved more people invested in the wider community um and this is very much the case if you're doing something sort of within the indie circle um essentially every time you work on something you're going to have a circle of people who are supporting you and so if there's lots of people working on something then there's a circle of people who are supporting them as well which means that your reach goes gets wider so fans of one writer will check out a book that they might be involved in you know fans of someone's music will check out projects that they're part of etc i mean the amount of times people go and see a play or something like that just because of one actor that they happen to like, or the amount of time that people are like, well, I bought this anthology because your story was in it, but that benefits everybody, even if it is only one person. And if every person's family does that, you go suddenly from having an audience of, let's say five um, to an audience of 30. Um, And it kind of, it it balloons because of that. So from a business perspective, collaboration can also be, good but also bear in mind from a business perspective the more you collaborate the more you have to divide riches as well
1: (laughs) yeah i have to say i mean aside from the, the pecuniary side of things but um i've lost count of the number of times i've had an email or a message or a tweet or something where someone has said how much they love seeing me interact with other writers Mm -hmm. and it's not just me it's it's a case of it's like it there's this like cult thing where they love watching creative people work together it's it's almost Mm. like a a trope in and of itself
0: yeah absolutely it's it's like a it's the ultimate crossover (laughs) we just kind of like the ideas of writers being friends (laughs) And I have to say,
1: you know, if it's the case of there's a couple of writers I like, I love watching them sort of interact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my, bra- I'm sorry, my brain is, is barely tamed and it, it's just kind of gone on a comic strip now whereby Madeline and I are now ca- characters in this bizarre comic strip and <laughs> weird apocalypse scenarios are happening. I'm, I shall rein myself back in. I apologise. <laughs> Basically anyone who talks to us on this show now gets drawn into this comic strip.
0: Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) Liam. (laughs) Liam, you're here with us now as well. (laughs) Welcome to the Apocalypse.
2: Holy notebook, Batman.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So also another thing is, it's (sighs) something else that really happens with collaborations is work balance. Um, It's not all on one person to do everything though obviously depending on the size of the project, you might still have a lot to do. Um, I'm gonna give a shout out here to uh, my fellow writer in Enigmatic, James, who has just done the most amazing work. And James has brought in as an intern, we had a few interns, and James is one of the ones who's um, who's stuck around, who's managed to stay, and is obviously, he's, he's no longer an intern, he, he's now, you know, a thorough member of the team, and he is heading um, one of our other projects, which I'm, I'm not gonna talk about here today, um, but he is- Spoilers. He, spoilers. <laughs> he's, uh, he's fantastic. It's been amazing to work with him, and, during Moko, um, because I'm I'm lead with Moko, I was in charge of a lot of things. But I could basically give him certain scenes, and then we sort of we work on them together. And after some of the initial script was finished, I got into a very busy period, um, which meant that I couldn't keep an eye on all of the small things that were happening. I wasn't able to attend a lot of meetings because I had clashing classes and things like that, and. The most amazing thing was because James could, James was there, he was able to pick up that slack and do a fantastic job and and you know obviously his writing has, has developed as well and it's been amazing to work with him and it would have been incredibly difficult um, collaboratively if he'd not been there because he was there on the ground talking to the coders talking to um the animators the artists and things like that and making these tiny amendments which make a huge difference so you know that's another really nice part of collaboration is that actually um it means that you also have you know um this you can maintain momentum even if one person is having an off day the project will keep moving in other areas um and this doesn't just happen with writers i mean that's the other thing is that even if you know the sort of we, we had the coders not doing something one day um on mock or we had the artists doing something instead we had meetings for different people even if you yourself are like oh, well today's you know I'm going to school someone else is going to be doing something else and and that meant that the project never stopped um, and I think projects stopping and grinding to a halt particularly if, if it's a group thing it, it's incredibly difficult to get them moving again so having something which just keeps ticking along is very powerful.
2: Yes, it's also a, a, a big help for uh, from a business perspective because if you're trying to gain funding regardless of what your project is, whether it's a game, uh, whether it's, it's a uh, written piece of work, whether it's a comic book, um, the, the, the people in charge of financing like to see continuous momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wow. if, you, if you have a means of showing that that is what's going on, uh, they're more likely to invest in your project.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's actually discuss some of the cons of collaboration because there are a few. <laughs> um. So I think one of the first big ones is actually we talked about the the great thing about having lots of ideas and perspectives. Um. But then there's the other side of that, which is when you have. Too many ideas, too many cooks in the kitchen.
1: Um, (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say I was an expert on this. Um, I will say that I would be personally very careful about working on anthologies of short stories again. It's something that I've really enjoyed doing in the past. But it's one of those things where, let's say you're you're taking on 14 short stories. Mm -hmm. You cannot involve every single writer at the same level. So it's far better to have a small team of people who are putting the anthology together Mm -hmm. and then everybody else is a contributor and they don't get a say in everything else, which I know that sounds harsh. But if you make it too accessible, which I think was kind of the leaning for at least one other person who was helping put the anthology together for me because they're a lovely person. Mm -hmm. not suspicious like me um (laughs) was that you then get a lot of people who feel that they can chip in on everything whenever they want to there's no there's no consensus of of where a project's going and it will actually halt the entire thing up
0: yeah
1: um not to mention putting an awful lot of stress on the person who is doing most of the assembling shall we say (laughs) so um yeah you've got to be really careful when i've there, there have been other anthologies and things that I have submitted work for, and I've also worked on, or I've actually done some work behind the scenes for, with formatting and things like that. And, you know, I'm quite happy to kind of help out depending on what the the situation is. But I, I will go in now with a very clear idea of what I'm prepared to do and what I'm not prepared to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely um it's it's one of those things which people have to be ready to compromise on certain things and if you're also not ready to compromise um if you feel like your vision is the only one you can't be doing a collaboration and it can be very frustrating i mean and and i you know it can drive you to tears i've been working on it i'm not gonna give too many details but um and this is not enigmatic this is this is on a very sort of small personal scale i've had to collaborate with certain things jules knows what i'm talking about um i've had to collaborate with certain things um recently um among you know people i know and love and um i am very one-track minded i'm very stubborn and my visions have not always (laughs) matched up with theirs. Um, and it can be incredibly frustrating to sort of basically then have to say, no, we should do this, no, we should do that. Um, and to kind of understand other people are just as passionate about certain choices as you are. Um, and a big part of sort of what prevented everything kind of going up in flames was was compromise and basically saying okay I understand your perspective if this is very important to you we'll go along with that um, as long as you're also listening to me and so communication is key but if you cannot communicate in a project if there are too many people who are trying to kind of claw their way in or take the lead and refuse to compromise on anything. I think there are some times when you can say, no, I feel very, very strongly about this and stick to your guns. But if you refuse to compromise on absolutely anything when you're working as part of a project, the project will fall apart or you will be kicked out of the team. Um, So it can actually be incredibly difficult.
1: Yeah, it's like, I, I'm, I'm sure you can get 16 to 20 people to all agree to a compromise on something, mm. but the length of time it would take to accomplish that, as opposed to getting three people to agree to a compromise on something, yeah. would mean you're holding up the work for probably weeks, if not months. Yeah. Um, so this is why I presume, um, and it sounds like enigmatic's done this, why you have a lead on things Why you have a head writer and you, I don't know, a head games designer or, or what have you hmm. so that you've got one person bringing forward the voice of, of everybody in that particular department or group rather it's, it's, than it's, everybody piling in on it. Uh,
2: yes. It's
0: very democratic.
2: <laughs> well, we, we, we did have a situation a a few months back, um, wherein, uh, there was, Different departments were making decisions that ultimately would have affected one another without having then consulted each other um, and and so th- that's where where I guess my role also comes in 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 that I had to uh, uh, mediate the situation to ensure that actually you know what the the works weren't compromised people uh, the, the decisions being made were actually properly liaised without stepping on each other's toes and and that is Mm. a a big part of any project management which effectively is what any collaboration is um it's it's a project that does need to be managed otherwise you risk Mm. those relationships breaking down
0: yeah absolutely Um, we will talk a little bit more about sort of the director role in a minute uh but going back to sort of the cons as well uh, another big con is when styles don't blend. Now, this this does happen, um, and it's very possible uh, if two people have a very distinctive style, whether it be an art style, whether it be music style, whether it be writing, etc. Sometimes these styles will not blend well together and the finished result will feel jarring and forced. It also happens if people have kind of different visions. So you see this a lot in films, for example, where lots of people have been involved or a director's changed or something like that. Um, And then editing has kind of had to be done or sort of little bits and bobs have had to be re-added, resulting in a film that doesn't know what it is. Um, I would argue that sort of Justice League suffered from this a tiny bit, in that it started out as something and then they kind of <laughs> they were like, okay, well let's add this let's add that. We also had Star Wars as well, the recent series where each film had a different director there was no clear direction which resulted in everyone kind of going oh, what's what's happening? This has been very, very jarring um, but you also kind of get it on smaller things where you have sort of two artists working on something together and you know even if they're both exceptional artists it doesn't work because their styles are just so so jarring that it it doesn't feel like one picture it feels like two pictures occupying the same space
1: yeah this is okay i'm not i'm not a football fan i'd like to say so um i used to play football as a as a child but obviously don't anymore um, and I've never really supported a team or anything like that, so take my words with a pinch of salt. But this was a friend of mine at college when I was about sixteen. He was really, really into Everton football <laughs> club, and he was explaining who the best players were in each in each team. And I was saying, well, okay, well that that group's got sort of two star players, and they sort of turn up in in the English team when they play a World Cup or what have you. And that one's got three why do they not try and pack out the entire team with star players? He said, you can't do that because if you pack out a team with star players nobody plays as a team and yeah. that is what it, the problem with the English football team is, they pack it out with star players who cannot work together as a team, <laughs> which is kind of why England sucks at the World Cup
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's a really, really good way of putting it, um, absolutely and yeah, and once again, this is, you know we have two people who are coming in with distinctive styles and Um, it's, it's gonna sound so stupid. I was, I've been watching a sports anime. Um, I don't know why, (laughs) I don't usually (laughs) like it, but I've been watching a series called Haikyuu, which is about volleyball. I know nothing about volleyball. I have never played volleyball. I have no real interest in volleyball, but I thought I'd give this a go because it's had really, really good reviews. Um, And it kind of, it echoed with me a little bit because the way that obviously the team works, it's sort of, it it does feel very much like any kind of collaboration, which is that you have a few people who work very, very well together, um, but actually, um, while you can have a star who shines very brightly at one thing, they cannot function without the glue that holds it together. They cannot function without the people who kind of blend things together and if you have two particular very art styles what you need is a third person who's able to blend those two together seamlessly and that yeah someone who's
1: someone who's good but maybe not great no offense to to the third person because actually they're usually more reliable can produce things on time and on demand and are less precious about sort of everything being completely perfect so you really need someone like that on the team
0: Yeah, they're they're incredibly reliable because they I mean, to be honest, in some ways they sometimes have more skill than other people, they might not have starring roles, so they might not be exceptional at one particular thing, Um, but they, as as you say they're consistent Um, and without them, everything falls apart, nothing works together so it's, yeah, that's the same with any kind of collaboration. Um, One of the final big cons, and anyone who has ever worked a group project ever knows this, which is when one person doesn't do their, their job or drops out leaving others in a pinch. So first of all, I should say, obviously personal life can get in the way. And sometimes it is inevitable that you have to drop projects Um, in large projects. This is actually very, very normal. So if you have very, very large games, for instance, which take years to develop, you might have coders or artists or editors um, who have to leave or get swapped out over time, particularly, you know, if if it takes several years. but on small collaborations, it can be absolutely devastating. I mean, have have you ever just been left left in a pinch, just in the middle of nowhere, Jules? Uh, people not finishing things on time
1: is has been one of the worst ones. And um, uh, again, I'm, I don't want to point fingers or anything, but that it's a case of. When you're doing two deadlines and you're giving everybody one deadline and you're giving one or two people another deadline, which Mm. is a couple of weeks before. So you're already building in time for them to be late. And yet they still manage to miss both. And it's it's really frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating for me. And I realise that I am um, sort of I've I've been described as a horrifically organized person, as in I'm so organized that people are kind of terrified (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I I literally break everything down into sections. This needs to be accomplished in this amount of time. This needs to be accomplished in this amount of time. Um, When people ask how I can write so fast and um, bring out as many books as I do, it is literally because it's planning. It it, it is literally planning. I would not be able to do it if I didn't plan like that. Hmm. And that, if you want me to head up a project or or be involved, then I will bring that to that project. So, you better want it. <laughs> once I'm there.
0: I've got to say, it's been. I, I feel very guilty because I've obviously worked with Jules and we're collaborating on some stuff. And she produces work so much more effectively um, and so much more quickly than me. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm letting you down.
1: Well, it's not that you don't do it, it's that you do it and then go back and rewrite it for the third time. Like, <laughs> just, just get to the end before you go
0: backwards. I'm so sorry. <laughs>
1: um, No, all joking aside, I think uh, as long as everyone's, uh, it's easier with small teams. If everyone's aware of everyone else's situation, Mm. um, both home life, work, um, things that might be demands on their time and how they work as well, their process, because it's not to say that my process is the right one for everyone because it absolutely isn't. Then you can have the the space for everybody to work at their own speed and still produce things on time. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Liam, have you ever been left in the lurch?
2: Um, yes, there's certainly been times when when some people will, will pull their weight more than than others, and, and I guess when you're within a company setting, it's easier to address that. Uh, mm-hmm. Working on a uh, on, on a friendly basis is it's considerably harder because the last thing anybody ever wants to do is is Take off someone who has been a, a friend, an ally, or or just you know someone whose work you you respect. Um, but there mm-hmm. does come a point where you need to draw a line in the sand and go well for the for the good of the project, you need to buck up or not continue on this.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and that I think that can be a really difficult thing. And I, I really appreciate the position you're in, Liam, because of anyone who's listening now will probably have a good idea. Liam is a very friendly person. Liam is an incredibly nice person. Um, You're probably one of the nicest people I know, Liam. You're just 100% stellar guy. That's because you've Um, never
2: seen the hammer come down.
0: (laughs) I think I caught the tail end of the hammer coming down one time in a meeting and I was afraid. Um, But... (laughs) No, Liam, I, and I think you're you're a very understanding person, which I think also, it, it, I think it means that some people think they can take advantage of you, um, and they're wrong because, as I've said, you you know you can sort of get down to business whenever it needs done. But I also think that because you're a very empathetic person, that does put you in a very difficult position because you want to work with people. You want to help people. That's why you built up Enigmatic, you know, for yourself, but for others as well. And so, you know, maintaining the balance between saying, okay, do what you can do um, and saying, but we do need to produce work is very difficult.
2: Oh, definitely. And, And many collaborative projects when, I imagine this is this is the case in the writing sphere. Certainly within the game sphere, um, when you're starting out, um, money is a huge issue. Um, mm. a, a lot of projects and companies will start, as we have, by uh, doing uh, by by rewarding participants uh, in in revenue shares and and other similar schemes. So you're not actually paying people up front. Effectively, the work they're providing for your project is voluntary. Uh, so yeah. you do need to strike a good balance between uh, ensuring that that people feel safe within the project comfortable uh, to continue but also ensuring that if they are not pulling their weight that that is also then addressed and uh, that when when the time does come for you know we all hope that our projects succeed and they, they earn us lots of lots of money so that we can continue with the next project but when that time mm-hmm. comes, you know, and the re- it's time to dish out the rewards, that if someone hasn't pulled their weight, then that is addressed, but so that, mm-hmm. so that others don't feel, you know, put out by the fact that I did more work than person X. Um, but you have to then also do that in, in such a way that uh, ensures that everybody believes that that decision is fair Um, because the last thing you want to do is do something perceived as unfair and have nobody ever work with you again
0: yeah absolutely It's very very difficult particularly i think in a project where not everyone is kind of doing the same you know if if you're an actor for instance if you're a director for a bunch of actors you could say all right well this person obviously this person is the lead so they get a little bit more because they're on stage a little bit whereas you're an extra, you're only on sort of every now and again or things like that. It's kind of a little bit easier to calculate, but it's very difficult when, for instance, you've kind of got some people who are coding, some people who are animating, some people who are writing and stuff like that. Um, and then you, you sort of have to do it by hours, but that's not always very reliable because there's also you know the, the the quality of work, voice acting as well and things like that. It, it just becomes very, very difficult, particularly on a small project where some people will not only be sticking to one role. I mean, um, Liam, you've done some of the voice acting. I have indeed. It's... I've done some of the voice acting for this. For anyone who plays Moko, um, you will enjoy the sounds of Moko the cat, which, <laughs> which is just me i spent an afternoon meowing into a microphone and not once not once did anyone else in the house even ask they heard me i know they heard me (laughs) but they said absolutely nothing they didn't even i was like i was recording for the game and they're like oh that's what you were doing and i'm like did you just think (laughs) for half an hour i was just lying in my bed rolling from side to side yowling like a cat. and they were like yeah that's normal madeline behavior
1: yeah they, they were probably like well yeah i mean it, it's madeline <laughs> this 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 is this is her it's keeping her about out of trouble she's not doing anyone any harm let her get on with it
0: <laughs> she's one of them writer folk let her do her thing um so i think this leads us neatly onto our last little bit which is about leading Projects, you know, so as we've said before, in order to maintain a smooth collaboration, particularly when lots of people are involved, you do often need a leader or a director to organize things. You know, it's like an orchestra with a conductor holding it together. The director oversees, they manages, they tweak according to the wider vision because they're able to see things from the outside while everyone hyper focuses on their particular tasks. So I've got a few questions about that for you, Liam, and you've sort of answered some of them a little bit already, but I'd love to kind of delve into it a little bit more. So the first thing is, what, what are some of the major difficulties you faced being a director on such a large project?
2: Um, very early on, I'd say one of the, the hardest thing was delegation. Um, as I'm gonna cite your orchestra, uh, example now, but you have the conductor, and that's very much where the director role sits. Um, but mm-hmm. once once you're outside of that, you will then have a, a a lead within each of the instruments as well. You'll have a lead violin, a mm-hmm. lead cello, etc. Uh, because the other uh, segments of the orchestra rely on following that that particular lead, um, and, and it is the same within any any project that. Whilst whilst you have a singular point for the overall vision, um, it's important that that person has the ability to delegate to different departments in the areas that they don't have the expertise. I, for example, am not an artist. I cannot draw to save my life, and my 3D modelling (laughs) is questionable at best. However, um, I I understand the process that those artists go through, uh, and so we we assigned uh, a lead for the art team to ensure that they are speaking with one unified voice but it also allows the artists to raise concerns to that lead to then come to me and if they don't want to be named uh as as having raised a concern then then it allows that to happen without any judgment of of people within that team You, you, you can easily uh address things without making it uh very public if you don't want to um however a lot of the time it doesn't hurt to also air a concern uh generally in public um as as long as you're not effectively slagging anybody off
0: yeah absolutely i think the other thing is that because you had these leads it's kind of like having you know a general and then captains very much so (laughs) um you know (laughs) yeah um is that it also means that you are not constantly facing lots and lots and lots of different voices all at once. You will have three, maybe four people who come to you with all of the concerns, um, rather than running a meeting sometimes, which involves literally everybody. Um, so yeah, it is. It's delegation, and then they delegate as
2: well. Yes, but it also, it also means that those leads can filter out concerns as well. Uh, if there is a misunderstanding within the departments. Uh, that needs to uh, to be addressed they can half the time address it there and then if they don't know the answer it's then that they'll raise it up the chain so it's good to have that structure um, as as it means that you're not flooded constantly by a barrage of questions that actually you probably don't need to answer.
0: Yeah or that you might not even be able to answer I mean just on a very kind of just the level of you know someone comes to you and is just like hey code sfx whatever i'm just talking about whenever the any of the coders are talking i'm like ha, ha 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 gibberish um you know if they said oh, if you do that can we make this and and you don't know the answer you just know what you want the wider picture to be you're like don't talk to me go and talk to the, <laughs> to the oh, totally coder. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay um all right. So on the flip side of that, what are some of the best things about leading this project? What are some of your best experiences, been?
2: So, so some of the best experiences have been simply uh, re- resolving something that, that, that the, the, the team has been a bit confused about. And that moment of realisation when suddenly it clicks into place for them and they're, they're now on the same page as you. Uh, that's been really, really nice to see um Mm -hmm. and then how how that can then spread to others in the team and and this you watch as the passion for the project grows and everybody comes together to make make it the best that it can be um and and you see people fall in love with with the project um Mm -hmm. i think that that is always always nice to see as as someone who who stands there sort of As the instigator almost for for a project and you see uh, this this passion develop, it's very rewarding.
0: Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. So um, it's time for us to kind of wrap things up. Uh, But before we do, obviously it's time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation. And as anyone who's been listening will have probably figured out today, we are actually going to be recommending Moko. So I'm gonna be drawing on Liam here to talk a little bit about what Moko is. So just very quickly, the Moko pitch, you have one very, very fat cat, spoiled cat living in feudal Japan who has everything. Um, and his best friend is his little owner, Yuki. But when Yuki falls sick, Moko must venture out into the spirit realm in order to find a cure. You play the game from the cat's perspective, so I don't know if. I don't, frankly, I don't know anyone who wouldn't be excited by that.
2: And um, um, so, right so, you know? <laughs> who, who doesn't want to be a cat?
0: If as as the old song goes. <laughs> So, um, what are some of the. Talk to us about Moco. Why should people buy Moco? Where will Moco be available?
2: So, Moco will be. Uh, Moco and the Seven Gates, I'll give it its full title, uh, will yeah. be available on the PlayStation Network sometime next month. Uh, we're mm-hmm. still working on a couple of kinks, so I can't give you an exact uh, date yet, but it should be available mm-hmm. in July uh, 2021. Uh, and we will then also be getting it out onto Steam. Uh, the the month afterwards uh, for anyone who wants to buy it for PC.
0: Thank you very much. Now, we've said before, it's a 3D game. You are playing as the cat. Visuals are beautiful. The music as well. Just shout out to the music because damn. Um, The... God, what's his name? The artist Felix Arafin. Is that how you say it? That is indeed. Yeah, um, you can actually already check out the music for Moko on Bandcamp and you can pre-order it. If you just write in Moko and the Seven Gates official soundtrack you will find it again by Felix Arafin. Um, the music sounds amazing and it will give you a real good idea. Um, the whole team have been fantastic Um, everyone, there are so many people I I could name but everyone has just been brilliant Um, I'm really looking forward to this game coming out and I hope that everyone else is as well Brilliant Well, thank you very much for coming to join us Liam, it's been really interesting listening to your perspective.
2: It's been my pleasure thank you for having me
0: And on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week.
1: Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders. Or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughn.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.